Thank you for tuning in to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion 2023 podcast series. If you enjoy our podcasts, check out our interactive webinar series too. To learn more, visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash webinar. Registration is free. Here at the Forum, we get to engage people, advance ideas, and ignite change because of the generous support from our community. If you find our resources meaningful or valuable, please consider supporting the forum today. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. Thank you very much for your support. With that, I'd like to say a thank you to all of our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and help us reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the forum podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend or family member or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the forum grows. Thank you very much for listening and sharing. Now, enjoy the show. Hello, and happy Black History Month. Thank you for tuning into the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast series. I'm Ben Rue, Program Manager here at the Forum. We're really looking forward to today's podcast, Our Black History in 50 States, with attorney and author Zaylor Stout of Zaylor Stout and Associates, LLC. In this podcast, you'll learn about the United States' diverse histories and how they impact work culture while expanding perspective regarding whose history is relevant and important. The podcast will help you in understanding the impact sharing diverse histories has on work culture, identify goals, develop strategies, and determine further actions for personal growth, and expand perspective regarding whose history is important slash relevant. Zaylor Stout was raised in Southern California and received his BA from Cal State Fullerton in International Business Management. He graduated from the University of St. Thomas of Law School in 2010 and founded his own law firm, Zaylor Stout & Associates, ZZA, which handles employment law matters which include sexual harassment, discrimination, wrongful termination, and wage and hour disputes. ZZA is the first LGBT-certified law firm in the state of Minnesota through the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce, NGLCC. He serves on the board of directors for the Quorum Fair Vote Minnesota and is a former member candidate for City Council in St. Louis Park and served on the city's Human Rights Commission. Zaylor's first book, titled Our Gay History in 50 States, which highlights significant people, places, and queer facts relating to LGBTQIA history on a state-by-state -state basis, is already an international award winner. In his next book, our Black History in 50 States is slated for release during Black History Month 2024. Hello and happy Black History Month, Zaylor, and happy Black History Month to all our listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to um, share about your exciting new book. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me back. Yes. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, Zaylor, as I don't want to say old friend of the forum, but is a friend of the <laughs> forum who has um, not only spoken in our conference in the past, but also has done a podcast with your father um, uh, on safety in the workplace. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, yeah, absolutely. It was so yeah. As in regards to, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, I, I, I'm i sorry, I do so many of these that I <laughs> so sometimes I kind of forget, but it was, it was in regards along the lines of safety in the workplace, correct? 
Absolutely, absolutely. It's about domestic violence in the place and things you can do to make sure that you're safe and that you're make, creating a space where your employees are safe as well and aware. Great. Thanks for that. Re- yes, that's what that was it. Um, it was, yeah, definitely really great content. Definitely very important content. So do feel free to check that out. But before we jump into this conversation today about um, Black history in America, could you tell us just a little bit about, just a little bit about what you're currently doing and the work you're doing and why? Or Absolutely. There's, there's lots that I'm doing, but my day job, I'm an attorney. So I have my own law firm, Zaylor Stoughton Associates with locations in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as well as in Pasadena, California. And we defend employers in regards to employment law matters. So that includes discrimination, sexual harassment, wrongful termination, and wage and hour issues. I'm also an author, as you know. So my prior book was Our Gay History in 50 States, which highlighted significant people, places, and queer facts on a state-by-state basis. And so my second book, as part of the series, there's going to be a long series of books, Yay. is uh, our, our Black History in 50 States, highlighting significant people, places, and melanated facts on a state-by-state basis. So we'll get into some of those facts today with our discussion. Wow, that is really exciting. And that's um, a lot of a lot of great information, a lot of great stories that I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard told before. Um, really excited to get into that. So for, for um, jump right in, how does Black history in America differ from the traditional story of American history? Why is like why do you think there's a need to teach parts of African American history as their own unique element of history? No, I think this is a really great question, especially with you know today's debate and discussions in regards mm-hmm. to what should be taught in schools. And so I, I look at it as the the framing, the, the the classic framing of American history that's taught in schools today, you know, really doesn't take into account the lived experience of Black people in this country. Um, and so besides, you know, um, brief references during slavery, as well as the civil rights movement and those eras, mm-hmm. um, you know, our existence as well as our contributions um, tend to be conveniently omitted. And so, you know, there's, you know, I'd say 10 different, you know, eras as it relates to Black history in this country, starting from the Middle Passage to slavery in America, moving on to the Civil War and Reconstruction, then the abolition, the Great Migration, the Harlem Renaissance, Jim Crow, segregation, civil rights, post-civil rights movement in modern times. Mm-hmm. And so we can go all the way through in regards to, you know, the, the the trials and tribulations through each one, successes that we've had in regards to this, as, and then even with those successes, the need to persevere and fight on because, you know, just because we may have gotten, um, you know, some um, amendments passed through the Constitution, it didn't necessarily change the hearts and minds of the people on the ground as it relates to things like voting rights and the like, which are are still issues that we're challenged with addressing today. So that's why I think it's important to be able to provide some context in regards to, you know, some of the, you know, unrest and social ills that are that are about um, in society today that, you know, if we if we refuse to talk about it and have a frank and honest discussion as it relates to it, then it's hard for us to be able to find ways to be able to move forward. That is so true. And so, and it's, I mean, it's, it's sad that we are still at this point after all the things that you've listed that's happened in um, Black and African-American history, that we're still feels like this, you know, never ending cycle, like one step mm-hmm. forward, two step back. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> Which is, it's just so sad. Um, are you familiar with the musical Ragtime? I am, yes. Yes, and you know, you know, one of the, it, that, that's, you know, for those who aren't, it's uh, centered around 
different groups in America at the turn of the century, you know, white, wealthy people, black community mm -hmm. um, in Harlem and, um, you know, with the age of ragtime and um, immigrants. And um, I think I think that was it, the three groups. But like it's it's, you know, set in, I think, 1901. And it's it feels so like some of a lot of the themes and things they talk about in this play feel like it's today <laughs> like it's it's and, that, uh, and that's the challenge right it's like finding you know how 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 can we how can people today feel as though we haven't progressed since then though yeah. we know that there's been lots of progress since then but but you know some of these um you know very you know fundamental elements and aspects of our lives and our you know being seen as the person being treated with dignity and respect the same as yeah. everybody else you know things that you would have expected to have happened by now haven't. And so it's finding, you know, how is it and what is it that we can do to be able to make that paradigm shift and that change so that that ends up becoming the norm, that it's not the exception, but it is the norm for everyone. Yes. And I mean, and, you know, and you speak of like basic human rights, um, especially that's, that's thrown around, spoken of a lot here in the States or in the United States and in, in the Declaration of Independence, the leaders, the founders of the, uh, you know, our founding fathers, um, famously wrote we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that we that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these being life liberty and the pursuit of happiness i mean we are all very familiar with those um yeah yeah mm -hmm. and 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 i mean these words were written at the same time that most of those men most of our founding fathers owned slaves as a lawyer what do what do these words mean to you well, especially as a lawyer, it means a lot because, you know, we, we studied the Constitution very in depth. We go through, you know, what what the 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 progress as it relates to law and how the law has changed over time and the interpretation of the different laws and the enactments and the needs for enacting additional laws and the difference in the separation between federal law and state law and the like. So I I get all of that and, and I love it because that's why I want to become an attorney because I'm 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 a geek and a nerd when it comes to all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, when when. When they, when our quote founding fathers, you know, wrote that, um, they never expected for somebody like me to come along and have the same rights that they did, right? Yeah. They never expected black folks to have the same rights. They never expected folks that were LGBTQ to have the same rights. They never expected folks with 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 disabilities. I was born with, you know, um, um, disability to both my hands and my feet. You know, there was a time in our country's history where I would have been involuntarily locked away. Yeah. So, you know, the thing is, is that even even with them not ever thinking that those were going to be rights that would eventually be stowed onto people like me, you know, in their lives, when they left, um, you know, when they left Europe and came to the States, you know, they had a feeling of, of not being free and wanting to be free and knowing that there's that, that innate, you know, desire to be able to chart your own destiny. And so, you know, that's the language that was written into, you know, these founding documents for this country. And so, you know, who knew that two over 240 years later that this is where we'd be, that we'd be in this pluralistic society, this multicultural society, and that our laws our laws would inevitably progress to provide greater and greater access to equality for everyone, you know, including equality for women, right? Yeah. Super important, essential element. Um, but there's still you know, challenges uh, as it relates to providing that full and true equality for everyone. So I just, I see it as America's promise. And and it's the promise as it relates to what she should be, what she could mm -hmm. be, 
um, that and and evolve into that beacon that many around the world see. Um, you know, we can be here in the states and look at other places and say, well, we are we 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 may not be the best at this, that, yeah. or the other because you look at data and the data shows that people may be happier in this country or have a better quality of life in that country or mm. you know higher higher gross income in these other countries. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but a lot of folks look to us as, you know, the place of freedom, the place where yeah. you can attain the American dream and things of that nature. And so it's hard for that for us to remain that 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 beacon for mm-hmm. everyone if we um, continue to allow for systems to be in place where folks are excluded from having access to that dream. Amen to that. I mean, the American <laughs> dream, all those streets paved with gold that paved um, with gold, right? Happy Eastern European immigrants were told about. And um, uh, I think of the movie, Fifle, I was just thinking of the movie Fifle, um with the little animated mouse. Oh, I remember that one. It was so cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, doesn't go like they planned, but it, you know, no, but it is, it is, it is uh, very much the American story. Um, and yeah, it's, and you know to your point uh you know to when you say a lot of other countries are this and a lot of countries that are more advanced than us and this and that i mean i think it's a point a good point to point out or good thing to point out or valid thing to point out that the u.s like you said is only like 250 years odd years old whereas Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not uh, not to make excuses but whereas you know a country like england is or the united kingdom are thousands of years old much older yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, they're, they've had their governments, you know, have gone through, I mean, not to say that they're not going to sit through similar things, but they've had more time to really establish and, you know, on the on the grand scale of things, the United States is still very, very young um, in mm-hmm. comparison to a lot of these other countries. Uh, again, not to make excuses for, um, you know, we, there's still a lot of progress to be made. But it's it's fi- oh, it's very rapid compared to how long it's taken for the you know for the rest of the world to make the progress we have. Um, again, not to make excuses, um, mm-hmm. but but and speak going from switching from talking about famous white men to <laughs> famous African Americans. <laughs> um, oftentimes, um, African American history is taught via only the biggest names from history. Or, um, Harriet Tubman's, Martin Luther King's, Booker T. Washington's, Frederick Douglass, etc. Um, but there were many ordinary African Americans who played a vital role in both the country's success and in the fight for equality. From your studies while working on this book, which of these less common people stands out to you the most and why? Well, I am still doing research on the books. We've identified entries for roughly 20 states, so there's still more research to be done. Wow, um, you've, got, but, uh, you've got 30 more to go. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's never ending. It's never ending. And there's so much history, which is which is a great problem to have, right? Not to mention our um, territories. You know, <laughs> absolutely, as well as well as the territories in Washington, D.C. We can't yes. forget we can't forget our subins over there. Exactly. Um, so I have I have two, no pressure, two quick entries that <laughs> I have two quick entries that I thought uh you know could could show kind of just a position in regard to things because like you said we normally hear about you know the big names and stuff but not necessarily you know the the unsung folks or or the or the first of their kind in, yeah. in certain in certain ways and shapes and fashions so one one i want to bring up is bayard rustin and i know that you've heard of bayard oh, rustin, yes. but there may have been many others that didn't and 
you know, he was a civil rights leader, non uh, nonviolent as it relates to youth, the use of nonviolence in regards to civil rights and civil disobedience and gay rights. So he was actually the architect for the March on Washington. He was right hand man for Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He's the one that organized the Freedom Rides. He's the one that helped organize with the Su Southern Christian Leadership Conference in order to strengthen uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's leadership and his teachings of nonviolence. Um, you know, he even helped uh, organize a group called In Friendship. And, and the In Friendship uh, organization worked with the American Jewish Congress. Mm -hmm. um, he became head of the AFL-CIO. You know, he's he he managed uh, many humanitarian missions that aided refugees from both Vietnam and Cambodia. I mean, there was a lot that he was doing as it relates to that. Um, I, if my memory serves me correct, I, th I believe the... Um, the Obamas are working with Netflix in regards to, you know, um, bringing his story to life so that everybody else can hear and learn about him. But I mean, this is an important figure, um, especially as it relates to the civil rights movement. And he was an out gay black man at the time, which really wasn't yeah. something that was um, common um, or necessarily safe. Not, not, not necessarily saying that it's currently safe for folks now, but, you know, it's he's an important figure to our history, but there's lots of folks that don't necessarily know about him or have even heard his name. Well, here's, another, here's another one that folks really probably haven't known mm. and heard about, but this one will relate more to Los Angeles and California folks. Um, her name was uh, Bibby Bridges Mason. Um, she was born no. in 18, 1815. Uh, she was born into slavery. She was given as a gift to a Mormon couple um, and they made her walk 1,618 miles. Um, all the way from Mississippi to Utah. Um, and then from Utah, uh, they went and moved going four years later, they went to San Bernardino in Southern California um, to chase the gold rush. And um, once they arrived to California, um, Bibby learned that based on the California constitution, slavery was illegal. Yeah, And so there was uh, their, um, their quote masters, you know, were and take them, take her and her kids and, and, and their slaves to Texas but they got stopped at the border and there was this whole court case that went through in order to be able to determine whether um, Bibby and her family um, were free based on the California constitution. And the determination was yes, that they were free and they were released. Um, and though, so she and her three daughters ended up moving to Los Angeles. Um, she lived in downtown LA. She worked as a nurse, a midwife and a domestic worker. And she saved enough money to become a landowner. She became the first black woman to own land in the city. One of the first black women to own land in the city of Los Angeles. And um, so, I mean, it's it's those kinds of stories as it relates to like dedication and commitment and perseverance and and being able to to stand your ground, especially at a time where um, you know it was the law in, in a significant chunk of our country um, for her to be enslaved, right? Yeah. So um, I don't know. Those are just like. You know, two stories that I thought I would I would throw out there. You know, one from a from a time much further back, and and one more recent. But um, there's there's lots of stories in here, and it's not going to be all usual suspects. Uh, I love I love finding all those those unsung champions of of change and 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 uplifting their stories. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing the second story. I like you said I was I was familiar with the first, but Bayard, but not Bibby, and right. Uh, yeah. So I yeah, and I don't think any very few people outside of California or LA would be familiar. I, I bet you there are a lot of folks in California that know it. True. Um. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's definitely not something that you're going that you would be taught in school, um, like you know, in your regular American history, or even in African American history, or the AP African American history yep. that 
Governor DeSantis is trying to get rid of. Um, yeah, insane. Um, no, what does he say? Quote: No educational value. Hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah. Have you ever heard of Sarah Rector? Not doesn't come to mind, but so I'm she's she's a she's another one I find particularly interesting because she was born in um she was born in 1902 um not mm-hmm. in, obviously not into slavery but to impoverished sharecroppers in Missouri okay. um and they discovered um oil on their property on the or on the small piece of property that her parents owned which made them mm-hmm. very wealthy um and I think her parents must have died young because she was taken in by like uh, anyway she had a gar- she had a guardianship um i think it was more just to make sure you know i think the whole family had guardianships because they didn't want right. white black people with that kind of wealth but she was um at 14 the wealthiest girl in in the country this little this little black girl <laughs> um, uh, you know i do think i've heard about this one now that you say it see i love those stories and we should all hear those stories right yeah and it's, and it's you know it doesn't necessarily have to be a story that um, that 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 black people could you yeah. know benefit from. It's a story for about anybody, right? Well, exactly. And I mean, it's just, I feel like what part of the Black History Month is always about like black pain and struggle, mm-hmm. and not about people like this. But the, yeah. the most interesting thing about her is when she became marriaging marriageable age or as an adult, they the, the government changed her status from black to white, so yep, she legally became white, um, mm-hmm. so that she could. Um, have access to her money and the privileges that came with it which is just kind of crazy and she had you know princes and counts and lords and whatever from all over europe you know sending offers of marriage you know obviously for her money but it was it's still kind of crazy that that was all made possible by just switching her her just switching her status from black to white in the census and yeah right exactly how easy hmm. which yeah which is again just goes back to how made up race actually is <laughs> um yeah. but social construct yes exactly um and i and yeah it's just it, it, it's frustrating that it's take that it's still people still aren't quite haven't quite caught that on yet at this long but mm-hmm. um but you know what was there anything in particular that led you to write our Black history in 50 states at this moment in time? Yeah, so, um, you know, for me, there was always the plan to write a series of books. So Mm -hmm. our gay history in 50 states, Black history, Latin and Hispanic history, women's history, um, AAPI history, um, as well as disabled history. Um, disability history, and and with some of them, I'm clearly going to be writing with co-authors because, like, I'm not going to be yeah. mansplaining women's history to women. Um, but so <laughs> for me, there was always the importance of being able to have like a series of books um, where kids can go and have access to information and history that they can identify with and 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 is tangible and engaging for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for me, this uh, this was always going to be the second book that I was going to write. And so it's it's, it's just interesting that. You know, I began writing my first book in 2015 and no idea that this whole critical race theory debate would be on stage and that governors would be outlawing, you know, the teaching of of AP African-American history in schools. And it's just interesting in regards to the times. Mm-hmm. And it just reminds me of when I was in high school that I started a Black Student Union to learn about Black history because we actually had skinheads on campus at school. Wow. And um 
And and so there were some some white students on campus that said, well, if you can have a black student union, we want to have a white student union where we learn about Aryan history. And back in 1991 in Ventura, California, there was this big old public debate in regards to what history should be taught in schools. And so you have to go to our, our Kickstarter page to hear the rest of the story in regards to this, you know, and what ended up happening as it relates to that. But it's just interesting that 30 years later that we're still here having the same debate debates that we're having 30 years ago and 30 years ago you know the black kids that were at my school wanted to learn about black history we yeah. didn't have access to that material and that information then and now 30 years later you know the kids are saying this is a history that we want to we want to learn about we want to learn about history and people that look like us whether it be gay history women's history you know a native american history you know a, a, a the, all the diverse history that represents the society that we have at large and yet it's still not necessarily something that we're providing to the young people even though that's what they want yeah I, yeah it's it's so frustrating to see history being whitewashed of all the histories mm-hmm. you mentioned um um yeah black history gay history or, you know lgbtq plus history any like any it seems any unpleasantness i guess mm-hmm. or um which is just ridiculous and i i got the whole we want to learn about aryan it's like you we we do every day that's, that's the only thing we learn mm-hmm. about um yeah but yeah, it's ugh, so crazy. But uh, and although African American history, I you know I agree it should be taught more than just in February. It shouldn't be taught in the month mm-hmm. of February. You know, time is often spent studying it only you know during this month, um, mm-hmm. which it's great to have the month. But you know, I how African Americans have played you know a major role in all events in u.s history rather than focusing on their role for just one month of the year should teachers spend a day focusing on the role of african americans in each unit they teach and why or why not yeah you know i think that there's a way for educators and and this reminds me of legislation that was passed in the state of new jersey where, you know, they pass legislation in regards to a diverse curriculum so that when you're in math class, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's ways to be able to include, you know, um, historical figures that were mathematicians that were Black, that were women, that that had disabilities, you know what I mean? There's a way to be able to include, you know, a diverse set of of imagery in regards to who's been involved in crafting um, this particular, you know, educational course. And it wasn't just all white men, right? That there's, you know, amazing women that have made all kinds of contributions in science. So why can't we uplift and highlight, you know, contributions that some of the amazing women have made in regard to the sciences, right? It doesn't take, it doesn't, it really doesn't take that much work. Um, you know, there just has to be um, a want, a need, and a drive to be able to do it. And so, you know, just as it's important to be able to uplift the stories of of women in all these different areas, especially in the sciences and the math, maths and sciences including stories as it relates to African-Americans, as it relates to, you know, literature and all these different areas is is just an easy and smart as well. So I don't think it's necessarily something that should be relegated just to history. Yeah. Uh, though it's, it, it, it's hard to tell American history without uh, referencing one Black person that had some kind of contribution, right. um, you know, significant contribution to our country. Um, but, you know, it's we're, we're We've we've always been a multicultural society interwoven in different ways, and so why not uplift the stories of everybody that that got us to where we are today? I could not have said that better myself, and I also just want to congratulate Beyonce, who also who made Black History this weekend at the yes, Grammys. Yes, Beyonce. Um, and I think so did um, 
um oh my god lizzo didn't she or maybe she's um well i know that um um viola davis got the oh, EGOT, so yes. that's always an important one as well yes history is being made every day and like every new day. and exciting black uh, history um women's history queer history of the um so yeah there's just so much to you know so, so much to celebrate during this month but why do you feel it why do you feel it's important that both young people and adults hear slash and or you know learn about black history well first i mean the only one of the things that i realized when i was writing my first book was that the, what what the privilege that i had as being a black kid being raised in mm -hmm. a black home and that privilege was the fact that Yes, I didn't learn about Black history in school, but but since I was raised in a Black home, I learned about Black history from my parents and my family, yeah. right? And so when I thought about gay history, queer history, LGBTQ plus history, you know, very few queer kids are raised in queer homes, so where is it that they learn their history, right? So there's that mm -hmm. whole aspect and dynamic of it. But, you know, me being raised in a Black home, yes, I was able to learn aspects and elements of, of, about Black history until I was able to actually take elective courses where I was able to learn in a more structured setting about African-American history. But everybody could benefit from all these aspects and elements of it. And so, you know, one of the things that 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 comes to mind for me is that it's easy to demonize folks that you don't know. So folks that aren't in your family, aren't in your social social circle. And so when you learn about the accomplishments, the contributions, the the um inventions, you know, by Black people that you find out now are an integral part of your life, you know, I believe that it's harder, it would, it would make it harder for those people to then hate the group that created something that they love, right? Yeah. And so, and so strangely enough, you know, um, you know, I've seen many people, many people's grandparents, let's say, for example, as well, where, you know, the grandparents may have been very anti-trans, I mean, anti-Black, anti-Latino, anti-Asian, and yet, you know, their kids marry somebody out of their race, mm -hmm. this, this beautiful mixed grandbaby yeah. comes running to them with open arms and unconditional love, and, you know, nine times out of ten, it melts their heart, and, and there's a different dialogue and discussion that happens, and so, you know, that may have been, you know, part of the reason why people were trying to outlaw um, interracial marriage, right? Back in the mm -hmm. day, thinking that the, the more the race is mixed, the more that people are going to become accustomed to the fact that people are just people. But, um, you know, it, it when it comes and it touches you, when it touches your home is really when it becomes personal. And so it provides an opportunity for it to be for, um, you know, efforts, elements of Black history to touch people's homes in different ways. Exactly. And yes. And yeah. And uh, it, I mean, it's always the case. Um, it, it, I wish it didn't have to be, but it is always. Yeah. You mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. you you hate. Yeah. You brought up the point of interracial marriage or like the conservative politician who's a, who's anti-gay marriage until they're, yeah, you know, yeah. until their kid comes out and then, you know, they're and then and, and then they're, you know, change their tune. Um, but it just takes that, you know, that that one that incidents which is also you know why it's important just to share stories for us all share our stories in general so that people can know that there are people out there of you know of every race gender sexual orientation blah 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 in their life um because it does mm -hmm, make it mm -hmm. harder to hate at you know um at that point 
Um, speaking of points, we're getting close to the point of our last question, which I'm so sad about because we're having such a great... Oh, the time um, always goes so fast. I know it flies by so fast. But before um, I ask the last question, is there any uh, anything else exciting coming up for you other than the book that you'd like to share about? Well, I will Maybe be speaking something at in the March. forum, so I'm excited <laughs> about, about that, of course. And so we'll be speaking in regards to, you know, civility in the workplace, especially during turbulent times. And turbulent times tend to be election years, but, you know, this may be one of those times now for us as well. And so, um, you know, I have Miss J, who is an etiquette professional. Um, we've done this session before, so we're excited to be back and provide an updated refresh as it relates to it. So we look forward to seeing everybody at the conference in person. So we're excited to be back in person at the conference again this year. Um, so, so, so check us out. Yes, do. And we're excited to be back in person and to have um, you and Miss J back. Like you said, we have done this before. So, um, but excited for the new updated content. Um, so that's good. Uh, so the conference is March 27th through 29th, um, 2023. Visit formworkplaceinclusion.org to check that, to check out registration for that. Um, lastly, and I think this ties in really well with mm -hmm. you know just the conversation and just like workplace inclusion in general. How important is the corporate space in all of this in bringing society along to being more accepting and inclusive, not just in February, but year round? This is an exceptional question. And this is a question that comes up a lot, I think, especially um, when companies are requiring, you know, um, unconscious bias and diversity, equity, inclusion and training and impl implementing policies to um, equity as it relates to their hiring practices and promotions and things of that nature. And then so people, I, I know that I, because I do those trainings as well, um, as well as being an attorney and, and, and you know, you know, uh, on the litigation portion inside, but also working with employees in regards to being active. And so these are questions that do come up. And and it and it just reminds me, and it's again, I, I'm I'm that history nerd, so it's like taking back to history in regards to what lessons can we learn from history in regards to um, how this benefits yeah. us either as an organization or as society. And you know, when you think about integration, a lot of people will think about Little Rock, the Little Rock Nine, the group of nine black students who mm -hmm. enrolled in an all-white central high school in in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, in the night in 1957. Then, um, you know, which is the, you know, their attendance was was testing the Brown versus Board of Education landmark case and things of that nature. A lot of times people think about that as the moment for integration for our country. But our moment of integration came well before that. And it was actually in July 26, 1948, when President Harry Truman signed the Executive Act, Executive Order 1981, creating um, the President Presidential Committee of e Equality of Treatment and opportunity in the armed forces. And so what this ended up doing was de desegregating the military. And so if you have, you know, these, these tens and hundreds of thousands of people in the military desegregated, so they have to live with each other, they have to shower with each other, they have to have each other's back, they have to make sure that they have each other's back to the extent that everybody's able to come home, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so they're putting their lives on the line for our country. And then they come back to a country that's segregated where all of a sudden they can't drink out of the same water fountain as their as their brother yeah. that they um that they were just fighting with in, in wars abroad. And so that's really what brought about the change as it relates to a societal change um and a, and a change in mindset as it relates to the issue and the concept of segregation. And so for me the importance as it relates to the workplaces is you know just like with the military 
people didn't get to choose who it was that they were going to be, you know, in units and platoons with, right? Mm -hmm. The military decides who's with who, and then that's it. You know, you got to figure it out. You have to work well enough together to be able to accomplish the mission and the task that's at hand. And so I say the same thing goes for corporations because it because corporations are there to make money, right? Yeah. And they're and, and so they don't need employees. I mean, they I'm sure they would like their employees to be friends, but they don't have to be friends, right? But they want employees to be able to get along enough so that they can accomplish the goals that they need to work together to be able to accomplish for the organizational organization's purpose. And so what ended up happening is that, you know, companies end up being on the forefront as it relates to the aspects of social change, whether mm -hmm. it be integration, whether it be, um, you know, uh, LGBT rights and inclusion in the workplace, whether it be equality for women in the workplace, that, you know, and, and the changes in the dynamics as it relates to the sexual harassment laws and the progression as it relates to that, which then became progression as it relates to the Me Too movement. All of this stuff starts and really begins in the workplace because that's the place where people come together from different walks of life that normally wouldn't interact and they need to be able to get along with each other in order to be able to be successful for their organization. So that's why I find that for organizations and companies that it's in their best interest to be able to do this and to be able to ensure that, you know, their their staff is is well-versed in regards to what to do if they end up having somebody that's trans or non-binary that comes to work for their team, that how important using pronouns are, um, that, you know, uh, that some folks that are African-American prefer to be called Black and some mm -hmm. other, that some prefer to be called African-American, that, that it's all individualized and we can't, um, you know, um, cast everybody with a with a giant net and make generalizations and, and and classifications as it relates to that and 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 really um, learn to be um, a part of this this um, pluralistic multicultural society that we call America. I couldn't think of a better way to end this <laughs> than that, and I couldn't have said it any better. Thank you so much again, uh, Zaylar, for coming in and having this um, wonderful conversation with us um, today. Um, yeah, and yeah, not just about Black history, but about you know diversity and inclusion in general in this great nation of ours. Um, and we're really looking forward to read, uh, reading the stories in your upcoming book. And, yes, yeah, our and Black History in 50 States, where they can check it out at... Um... Gay five. I'm sorry, gay. That's the other book. Black five zero states dot com. I have so many books, right? I got intersectionality. All they all intersect. I know, right? Intersectionality, exactly. So black five zero states dot com. We have a Kickstarter that's going through the end of February, uh, so you can jump on that if you're trying to get your pre order for the book. You'll still be able to get your pre orders on the website after that. Um, but yeah, so we're excited to to bring this forward so that everybody can have their books in hand. Um, the goal is to make sure that they have it in hand by Juneteenth, twenty twenty four. That's a very doable goal, guys. So let's, you know, that, um, so yes, um, definitely go check it out, pre-order your books. Um, and again, thank you so much, Zaylor, for coming in and for, have, and for having this chat tonight or today. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm a friend of the forum. I'm here for you anytime. Yes. Thank you so much. And uh, have a great um, rest of your Black History Month. You too. Okay. Thank you again so much, Layla, for this wonderful conversation and just wonderful podcast. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Black history in the U.S., visit www.black50states.com. 
New episodes of the Forum Podcast are available at forumworkplaceinclusion.org forward slash podcast. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Stitcher. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,000 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota locations. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. Augsburg education is defined by an excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.